This podcast is for reference purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hey, is this thing on? Welcome to Maddox on the Mic, a legal podcast presented by Maddox, an independent Australian law firm. Hello and welcome to Maddox on the Mic. Today on their Talking Workplaces podcast, we'll be talking about ill and injured workers and how to manage them. My name is Katie Kossian and I'm a Senior Associate in the Employment, Safety and People team here in Sydney. And also joining me today is Dale McWalter, who is a Senior Associate in our team in Melbourne. Hi, Dale. Hi, Katie. Uh, Great to be talking to you today about this important topic that occupies a lot of my time and therefore the time of my clients. So looking forward to getting into some of the details to try and help people out. Yeah, Dale, I think you'll agree with me that managing ill and injured workers is probably one of the most complicated, time-consuming and nuanced things that um, employment lawyers and and businesses have to deal with. Yeah, I think it's become more so. And one of the reasons that I see is the, the web of legislation that applies and ducks in and out of this issue throughout the entire process. So most of all, mostly these things start from a position of discharging duties under workplace health and safety laws. But coming into that, you also have anti-discrimination legislation, privacy considerations, the Fair Work Act and other employment laws. Workers' compensation laws play a big part in this field, obviously. And then there's the overriding policies of employers, what's in an employment contract, any industrial agreements. So it's a complex issue that takes a lot of time to process each time one of these issues arises. And unfortunately, they're common. People do get injured at work a lot. Mental health, physical health, it's a common issue for our client. Absolutely. And I think clients are always very conscious um, about managing risks of liability. So obviously, on the one hand, you've got concern for the welfare of the employee in question and how to manage them on the one hand, but then also um, undoubtedly there are always going to be risk of claims for discrimination, you know, unfair dismissals are a common thing that we see here where um, an employee's uh, employment ends because an employer has determined that they're not able to perform their role or perform the requirements of their role safely. But yes, always risk of liability when you're talking about ill and injured workers. And I guess the reason why it's so nuanced is that every person is different, every injury is different, and and it always takes a lot of time to get to the bottom of what is happening with somebody, um, getting the right information. And that's something I know we wanted to talk about today. Yeah, look, I think that's definitely the case. Um, There's a lot of areas for potential liability or legal risk for employers, and you've just gone through a few of those there. One of the the key things and the reason for often undertaking these processes of managing ill and injured employees is, of course, that the employer needs to discharge their statutory duties under workplace health and safety laws. So are they providing a safe workplace for that employee, but also that employee's colleagues, clients, anyone else that might be impacted by the, the business or the undertaking of the employer? that revolves around this person who may or may be ill and injured and that injury may be impacting upon their ability to undertake their role safely. Uh, One thing I have noticed down here in Victoria, Katie, and I'm not sure if it's the same in New South Wales yet, but I've noticed that uh, the anti-bullying jurisdiction of the Fair Work Commission has been used a little bit by employees who are 
in this process of being managed or an employer has undertaken a, a process to find out more about a person's health and for one reason mm. or another they they are avoiding providing that information and from an employee's perspective I can understand that because your health and well-being are obviously personal and private matters but yes. they do cross over into your ability to perform your role. Uh, it's just something that I've noticed here it's being used a little bit to not necessarily get out of the process but perhaps avoid answering some of those difficult questions so a recent change that I've noticed over the last couple of years. Yeah that's interesting and I think um, part of it and I know that we talked about this um, we've talked about this a number of times but um, certainly before we started the podcast we talked about the real need for employers to have um, open lines of communication with employees um, when when there is this concern about whether or not um, they're able to come to work or if there's or if there's an illness that's going to impact on their ability to do their role. And from an employee's point of view, you can sort of understand why it can be a bit confronting that somebody's um, coming to you and asking uh, for information about your health and well-being. So there's certainly, um, I suppose, a natural. Uh, tendency of people to react negatively to that. So um, there's obviously a need when when you're communicating with an employee about this to being really clear about why it is that you're asking for that information. So we don't want to know. This is not a fishing expedition. We don't really need to know everything there is to know about your health or any underlying medical conditions you might have. We're purely trying to make an assessment about whether or not um, you can do this role or if there's any support we can provide um, to you in, in performing this role. So getting the employee on board um, is, is quite key. Now, they may resist in any event and they may not want to be assisting you um, in obtaining that information. But to the extent that you can sort of set that baseline, uh, in my experience, in having the employee understand why it is um, that you're seeking what you're seeking is really important because in, in my experience, and, and Dale, I'm sure um, this is the case with you too, uh, finding that relevant information at the medical information that you need is really going to have an impact on how you manage a process like this. And so, and, and that's really key. Yeah, look, I think that's a great point and it's often overlooked. And in my experience, the larger the employer, the more difficult the, the process of selling the need to undertake the process to an employee becomes. So put yourself in the position of the employee who gets a letter or an email from someone at the HR team that they've never met before, they don't know, you can understand that an employee might be on the defensive immediately. Why do they need to know about my health? This is something I'm managing. It doesn't cause any concerns. I can do my job. And so they're already in a bad position, bad state of mind. They won't want to cooperate. Earlier this week, I had a, a positive outcome where we sat down with the client at the start of the process and said, before we even do this, who's the best person to go and speak to the, the employee? And we worked out there were two options. One, one person was from the, the HR team. One was a line manager. It was actually the HR person that was better placed, just personality and attitude. And it worked. They went to the employee, asked for some information to be provided voluntarily. The employee went away that day and provided the information straight away and they were able to return to work. So I think it's what's in the message, but it's also worth taking that five minutes, 10 minutes to think about who is going to be the most effective communicator with this particular employee in these circumstances. Because as you've already mentioned at the outset, these things are all 
individual circumstances. There's no blanket mm. rule for this. There's no template approach that will get the desired outcome. But I think that's a really sort of important practical tip that can sort of save a lot of heartache and a lot of extra time later down the line if, if you can sort of work with the employee to, to get to an answer rather than having this sort of adversarial situation, which often arises in my experience when that first sort of communication piece isn't done or isn't done properly. Because then I guess if, if you're not getting the employee to come to you with the information, you have to take further steps you know, other than speaking to them and getting them to come to you with the records, it may be writing to their doctor who I think the GP generally is the one that has the best knowledge of, of, of the background and the limitations, if you like, um, that may arise with respect to somebody's ability to, to do their job. Um, and failing that, there may be a need to send them for an independent medical assessment, but those are obviously more formal processes that you can sometimes avoid. Sometimes you have to go through them anyway, but certainly in my experience, sometimes if um, you, you have that proactive uh, employee, then it certainly makes things easier. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, it's it's important to note now that, you know, we're, we're a few minutes into talking about this and we haven't even talked about directions to independent medical examinations yet. And that's how this process ideally would go. Uh, you make a good point about GPs. For a lot of people, their GP will know their entire life's medical history. So they are mm. the best person to provide information. They have a personal relationship with, with the employee. They've known them most of their lives. They, they will have their interests at heart. So getting that information, and as long as the communication has been good, the messaging has been good, as in, we want you to come back to work, we just need to make sure you can do so safely, the three parties in that relationship will apply a cooperative and collaborative approach to getting the information and getting the person back to work. Whether that means some adjustments have to be made, well, that's something that you discuss on an individual basis. But I think you're absolutely right. Going to the GP in the first place is, is ideal. If it requires specialised knowledge, expertise in, the med in another medical field or specialised area, then that's, that's where you go. And again, you can do that through the GP because the GP might have a referral system that is more palatable to the employee themselves. The, the thing is, we, we're getting back to the process. And the process here is we're trying to get reliable information about a person's status, health status, to make decisions about whether they can return or continue to perform the, the requirements of their position. Having that accurate information is, is really key because if you end up making a decision about somebody's employment based on incomplete medical information, um, then there's a real risk that if that um, decision to, say, dismiss somebody is challenged, that the employer is going to become unstuck. Yeah, that's right. And another branch of that, I guess, is that what, what are you assessing the person's capacity against? And it's important when you're starting to get into potential issues of termination of employment or reasonable adjustments, things like that, that the person is assessed against their substantive role. It's not a role that you might decide to move them to when they've been in for, you know, in a temporary role or anything like that. It's, it's the role that they were employed to do. And everyone in the chain needs to be clear about that. So it's the employee, first of all, needs to know but also the, the medical practitioner doing the assessment, they need to be clear about that as well. Yeah, I think that's critical. Um, and I suppose going to this assessment of, of, of somebody's ability to perform their role, um, 
have you got some insights into things that employers need to bear in mind when they're making that assessment? Yeah. So the whole going back to the the first thing, you need to have reliable information about their their status or or their condition, their prognosis, diagnosis, those types of things. But what are the risks in the role? So look at the position description. Is there, for instance, you know, is it a physical job where you need to manage their physical capacity to perform the role? Are we talking about mental illness? What are you looking at there? I'm going to go back a step, in fact, to something you raised earlier, though, Katie, and that's the communication. So the Mm. thing for managing this process and getting the right information and getting the person back to their job is communicating at every point. I think that's right. And then the rest will tend to fall into place because the other things are factual. So the medical information, it's fact mixed with opinion of, of a specialist, but we'll take it as fact. The position description doesn't change much. You know, a person does their job, they come to work, the role is generally the same, the same risks will apply. How do you then make sure the person is able to do the job? Well, you talk to them about it and you talk to the practitioners involved as well. Yeah, and I, I was going to say the other thing too that's that's really important um, is that often there's a lot of work that goes into all of this behind the scenes of things that the employer is doing um, and it's really important to document all of that, including meetings that have been had with employees um, because it really shows all of the work that's been done to understand the injury um, and, and the thought processes behind um, making particular decisions at relevant times. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, and the, the thing I skipped over there was, have you looked at your policies? What, what do your, your policies say about getting this information? You know, the employee's obligation to provide information about their medical status, those types of things. Your policy might be silent on it or you might not have a policy around it. I expect most employers of, of any size will have a policy that covers some of these matters at least. But this also goes back to the, the opening part of the session today. Have a look at the legal framework. Is there something in the industrial arrangements that, that require a certain process to be undertaken? Is there a consultation process? Those types of issues that might arise and could trip you up later if what you're trying to achieve is to get reliable medical information that you can make considered decisions on, based on. Mm. Have you obtained it as per policy? Therefore, there won't be any criticism if you have to go and take that next step of termination or altering a person's employment arrangements. So they're the, that's the key point still. Have you got reliable evidence to make decisions and support your decisions? As we finish up, just point out a couple of the, the things that arise that cause issues. Um, one that is is a common thing is where the, the process of managing an ill and injured worker is mixed with performance concerns or disciplinary proceedings. Mm. So it's a matter of unpicking those and it's really difficult to do. So um, in those cases, you, you do need to have a planned approach and make sure you stick to a path and to the extent possible, separate the issues and work out you know, which one needs to be dealt with first and how you go about that. Yeah, and I guess the classic example of that is somebody who um, has been told that they're going to go through a formalised performance management process and then, you know, raise a, raise a claim of stress or some other injury. 
Yeah, and then they end up being absent from work for an extended period of time. What do you do during those periods? And that can be quite difficult because I think in the past, the attitude has been, oh, well, they're off sick. They've exhausted all of their personal leave, so they're not really costing us much. Don't worry about it. And, mm. and my view is that's not a very good approach because, firstly, that can impact negatively upon the person's well-being because they're absent from the workplace. The longer you are absent from the workplace, the less likely you are to ever return. So that's not good for anyone. Um you need to then start thinking about can we utilise you know, an independent medical examination process. I'm not going to dwell too much on independent medical examination processes because they are quite circumstance specific and you need to know all of the details before you commit to that path. But what I would say is that if you do end up in that situation, you need to commit to the process because the process is accepted by all courts it's a reasonable and lawful direction that employers can give to obtain that information. You need to be fair, obviously, when you're doing it but and open. But if you follow the process, it works. You achieve mm-hmm. an outcome that you can action and can be justified later on. Yeah, and that comes back to the, the information point that we made earlier, which is if you're going to be making a decision, you need to have um, a reasonable basis for making it. And that's obviously where the INE reports come in. Yeah. And sometimes an employer will expect a certain outcome from an independent medical examination, but you have to have faith in the process and the experts undertaking the examinations. I'm just going to finish with one point that crops up frequently, but I think generally through me repeating it to my clients on a regular basis is this overlap of um, workers' compensation processes and other management of ill and injured workers processes that are undertaken at the same time, whereby you as an employer will hold certain information about an employee's medical conditions and their capacity to return to work that is obtained through workers' compensation processes. And certainly in Victoria, and I understand it's the same in New South Wales, if you use that information for another purpose outside of the workers' compensation scheme, as in return to work processes under that or what payments are payable, those types of things, you Mm. actually commit an offence under the, the workers' compensation legislation. Most employers know that, but even when they know it, it's so tempting to say, but we know that the doctor has said they can't return to work, so we're going to proceed with termination. You still need to take a step back, have a look and think, have I got information about this person's medical condition that if called upon, I could rely upon it and tender it in evidence in a proceeding to justify my decision? And if it's information obtained through a workers' compensation process, then the answer is possibly no, most likely no. Yeah, that's a really valid point, Dale. I think all of those are really, really useful insights and and great tips. Um, But I I guess, as we said at the start of of this podcast, this is an area which is incredibly nuanced. And in circumstances where I think people have questions about particular circumstances, it's really important to get advice um, because what may apply in one case may not necessarily be relevant to another. Um, And of course, every problem is as as individual as individuals themselves. Um, So we would encourage um, you to contact us if you've got any doubts about the process that you're undertaking or decisions you want to make or decisions you have made. um, It's really important to, to raise those questions. 
thank you for listening. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to myself or a member of the Employment Safety and People team. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to Maddox on the Mic. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to maddox.com.au forward slash podcast to subscribe. If you'd like more information on any of the topics discussed in today's episode, visit the Maddox website, maddox.com.au.